Our second reading is from Colossians chapter 2, actually reading from verse 8. So it's 8 to 15. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Matt, for reading. Good afternoon. Happy Easter to you. It's feeling a bit warm, feeling a bit sleepy. Let me pray uh, that as well as hearing God's words, he will help us to stay awake, stay awake with my dulcet Scottish tones, not soothing you too much. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this Easter Sunday as we remember the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, glorious, and now ascended on high, ruling over all things. And we thank you for the hope that we find in him. And please help us as we look at your word together. Please speak to us and help us understand it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, we're going to look at that little bit of Colossians together that Matt read from us and you've got in your handout. But just to start, I thought, I thought I'd mention a little confession. I'm planning a theft. I don't know if you've ever planned a theft before, a robbery. Um, and I'm going to enact it uh, a little bit later this evening. The victims, they won't see it coming. And I know they won't see it coming because I'll have sent them to bed. Uh, that's the plan. I'm going to send them to bed. And I'll know where their, um, where their Easter eggs are. I'm going to nick some of their chocolate. It's my grand, grand Easter theft. Don't deny you've never done something like that in the past. I mean, it's not a big theft, is it? It's not a big theft. I read about some other thefts uh, during the week. Apparently, back in 1990, a courier for a, a London City broker was mugged at knife point just in a London side street, and his briefcase was taken. It doesn't seem very much, does it, briefcase? But it had 300 bearer bonds in it, and the total amount was £292 million. That's a big theft, isn't it? And apparently, I didn't know about this, but the way bearer bonds works is if you, if you possess them, you own them. So that's not bad for the mugger, isn't it? £292 million. That's, uh, that's a big theft, much bigger than the Easter eggs. Uh, and Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, in our 
and now reading, that's kind of what he's got in mind. He's concerned about theft. He's concerned about an even bigger theft than the, the bearer bonds. It, it popped up in verse 8. You don't have it uh, in our handout, but let me put it up on the screen if you can read this. He, he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. It, it goes on that depends on human traditions and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. Paul's writing to Christians in Colossae, people, people like you and me. And he's saying, look, watch out. Watch out for the grand Easter theft. And he's not worried so much that somebody might steal Easter uh, because he knows, well, he knows Easter is too big, it's too wonderful. It's too fixed. It's too fixed into the world by God. No one can kind of run off. You can't run off with Easter. Now, when Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive, it's, it's more like this. It carries this kind of sense. Watch out that no one steals you away. That's the way the wording goes uh, when you read Paul's word. Watch out that no one comes and steals you away. Not that someone could take Easter from you, uh, but that they could steal you from Easter, persuade you. Persuade you to swap Easter's message. You'd never do that, would you? Uh, you'd never be stolen away like that. It's trouble with thieves, though. They're sneaky, aren't they? Uh, thieves are, are quite sneaky. You, you don't often notice they've stolen something in, until it's gone. It should make you a bit nervous. Perhaps you've been robbed already. I mean, you're in the room with a known criminal already. I, I've already admitted that I'm going to attempt to steal something. Do you know where your wallet is? Have you checked recently? <laughs> Some of you are looking. Oh, where your purse is? car keys might have might have got them already where your easter eggs are who knows what's happening to them right now as my plans are afoot it's worth checking and paul would say something else do you know where your christian faith is do you know where you put it it's worth checking and that's what paul's doing with these friends of his or these people Actually, he's not met them in person, but these people that he cares about and he's heard about, he wants them to check. Watch out. No one steals you from it. And so he, he gives them some things to check. Check what you're trusting in against these things. We're looking at just these verses 13 to 15. And here's the first thing. Here's the first thing he kind of says. Look, God made you totally alive, even though you were totally dead. Oh, it's verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Niagara Falls is massively impressive, isn't it? I went there. I, I had a holiday with my mom. My mom and dad used to live there, uh, live in Canada years and years ago, and I went when I was 10. I never lived there, but went when I was 10 with my mum, and we visited Niagara Falls, and I'd heard about it. We're going to this amazing place. I think when I got there, I said to my mum, she told me, I said, is that it? <laughs> it's just a waterfall. <laughs> 10-year-olds know nothing, do they? It is massively impressive. Niagara Falls, 57 meters high, 790 meters wide, apparently 2,000, at peak flow, 2,800 cubic meters of water per second. Thunder thunder over the falls. Every age has its celebrities. Uh, 
in the mid-1800s, one of the celebrities around was a a man called Charles Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. And one of the things he did was to string a tightrope across Niagara Falls and walk across it. In 1859, he did that. He walked across the falls on a tightrope, set it up. And then after he'd done that, he got a wheelbarrow, walked across, pushing a wheelbarrow. There's a story that he took out a little camping stove, cooked himself an omelette on the tightrope in the middle of the falls, and ate it. Another time he took a chair with him, sat down on his chair on the tightrope, above 2,800 cubic meters per second of water crashing down over it, sat down in the chair. Then another time, he took the chair this time, but he balanced the chair on one leg. And then he stood on the chair. It's mad, isn't it? Balancing on a chair that's balancing on one leg on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. I don't know how you could do that. Uh, The gap, as far as I'm concerned, is just too far to make it across. I wouldn't even get onto it. Uh, Blondin, in that sense, he he was doing something that other people just couldn't do. You you can't just do that. Um, In a much bigger way, Paul's wanting to remind the Colossians that the Easter message, the Christian message, good news that they're meant to be holding on to. Make sure no one steals you away from this. You see, it's not, it's not about something you and I can even attempt to do. It's actually something we could never do. In fact, it's something only God could do. Is that what you're still holding on to? And it starts with, look, it starts with a much bigger gap it's the gap between death and life, between being dead and being alive. That's what Paul meant when he said, when you were dead, God made you alive. It's funny language to use, isn't it? Writing to people who are very obviously breathing as they're reading it and telling them uh, that they were dead. What does he mean? Well, he tells us. He tells us what he means. He says, when you were dead in your sins. He's talking about being spiritually dead towards God. That's what he's talking about. I guess he would have said the same to us and would say that being dead to God in this life, one day when you drop out of this life, as we all will do at some point, the doors will open and we'll fall out of this life And Paul would say at that point, we will be cut off from any possibility of God's blessings and eternal spiritual death. Uh, Some would call it hell. The Bible would use that word. And Paul wants us to make sure we understand this this death that people experience now is total. It's that that funny phrase. We, We don't talk this kind of way. It's It's in our reading. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. It's a strange kind of language. Sins, we kind of get that. We don't use even those words very much these days. But you you get that. That's the stuff we do wrong. Puts us on the wrong sides of God. Sometimes I think, well, maybe if I try harder. Maybe if I put in a bit more effort, I could do maybe some more good things. Balance it out. But it's 
it's that second part of what Paul's saying, uncircumcision of your flesh. It's a, it's a weird kind of phrase that in it. And you, you sense, if you re- read the Bible at all, you know he's, he's picking up on, on Jewish religious imagery, circumcision. And, and this sense of your flesh, what Paul means by flesh there, is, is kind of like your, your whole being, your whole disposition. You could call it your nature, if you like. That, that's what Paul's got in mind as he thinks about flesh. It's, it's all of you. And an uncircumcision, well, in the Old Testament, God's people, when they were separated for God, kind of belonging to him, they were given an, an, outward, an outward physical sign. Circumcision. You've been set apart for God. You, you belong to God. You're meant to live for him. If you were uncircumcised, you'd not been set apart for him. So when Paul talks about the uncircumcision of your, your flesh, he's saying your whole disposition, uh, your whole nature. That's not my phone, is it? No, it's not. Somebody's left a phone from earlier in the service, I think. <laughs> Maybe it's my boys phoning to say they've hidden their Easter eggs. Um, when Paul says uncircumcision of your flesh, he, he's talking about our whole disposition, our whole nature, our whole way of living. What we're like at heart, we don't really care about God. We want to ignore him. Paul's saying, you put those kind of things together and he's saying, look, we're not opposed to God because we do a few things wrong. It's not like we end up being opposed to God because we, we sin in a few ways. He's actually saying it's the other way around. No, we're... We're totally dead towards God. We sin because at heart, in our disposition, we're opposed to God. We're totally dead to God in disposition and activity. What we do, what we do comes from the way we are. That's what he's saying. That's why he can say we're totally dead because who we are is we, we want to say no to God. Those of us who are maybe British, we do it in a polite way. We just ignore God. But that's what we're doing. We're saying no to him. And in saying that in our kind of disposition, our nature, it leads us to doing things that are opposed to God. What we do comes from the way we are. That's, that's the Christian message. Well, it's at least part of it. And don't let anyone steal you from it. Paul says that's what you need to know. You were dead to God, totally, but he comes in with Easter good news, but God found a way to make you alive. You didn't do it. You didn't work harder. You didn't contribute. God did it. You were kind of on this side, no way across, but God brought you to the other side. Brought you right across. Totally dead. But now totally alive. How do you do it? Well, that's the great Easter rescue that Paul talks about here. And here's the second idea to keep in mind. It's, it's this, look, new life. New life is God's gift totally through Christ. There's a story that after Blondin had made several public crossings of Niagara Falls, and doing all those fun things across the way. He, he said, do you think, he said to the public, do you think I could carry someone across the falls? Carry someone across on my back? 
And everyone said, yes, you can, Blondin. You're the greatest. You could do it. You could totally do it, Blondin. And he said, would anyone like to volunteer? And everyone went quiet. <laughs> Nobody wanted to do it. Apparently, he persuaded his manager. Great time to be Blondin's manager. And his manager agreed, and climbing onto his back, Blondin took the man across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, got him to the other side. How does God do it? How does God get people like us? We really begin to believe this. People who in nature and disposition are opposed to God. People who show that disposition. By the way, we can't even live for God for an entire day. We're always doing things our own way. We show our disposition the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. How can he make them alive? How can he make them cross over? It's end of verse 13. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. Think of it this way. When I was younger, you've probably seen this before. When I was younger... And I think just finding out about Christian things myself for the first time, somebody showed me a diagram. You're very much like this. People in God and opposite sides and in between a kind of long list of our, the charge that stood against me and what I'm like just because of my nature and my disposition and all the things I've, I've done wrong as well, my sinful actions, sinful nature, sinful actions. It's impossible to get to the other side because of those charges. But Paul says, look, God's taken it away. Now some, some might say when they hear that word, he's taken it away. Look, Paul, is that, is that fair? Is that what God's really like? Does he just pretend things don't matter? Does he just take stuff away? And Paul would say, oh, good question. Good question. Even on a warm Sunday afternoon, you're still awake and you're spotting that. Good question. Now, don't miss here, Paul would say. When God takes away the things we do wrong, he doesn't pretend it doesn't matter. No, God says everything we do really matters. It really matters. If you've done things wrong today that you're concerned about you think I know I shouldn't have done that you feel awkward about it well God would say it does really matter really matters to him what you've done but when he talks about taking away here's what he means verse 14 he says he has taken it away nailing it to the cross God has taken those charges and he puts them totally on Jesus Jesus always lived a perfect life of love and obedience by nature and action. Who he was just in himself and everything he did, he had no charges against him, but he took ours and holding them was nailed up, taking the punishment for them all. Totally. Totally took them all. See, at the cross, he, he dealt with the charges against us, not because they didn't matter, because they really do, but because he totally paid for them all and so is able to forgive you and you can cross over 
And the word we've got translated, he forgave us, it, it sort of carries the sense of grace, like, like a gift of favor, a gift of grace. It's not deserved, it's not earned. It wasn't free. No, it cost someone dearly. But it was free for you. New life is God's gift, totally, totally through Christ. And when you put your trust in Jesus, you found he had the means to carry you from one side to the other and make you totally alive. That last verse, where he says, God disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There's, there's lots in that, but part of what he's getting at, he's, he's saying to these Christians, and he said to us, look, watch out for ever thinking or letting anyone tell you there's some other power that you need as well as Jesus and his cross to be right with God. That there's another power that Jesus hasn't dealt with. No, Jesus has done it totally. God made you totally alive, even though you were totally dead. And that new life was God's gift, totally, totally through Jesus Christ. That's the great Easter gift. So here's the thing. Here's, here's part of why Paul is, is writing this. Uh, writing this to the Colossians and why he'd want us to hear it as well, why it's been recorded for us. And it's just, make sure you're still holding on to it. Make sure no one has stolen you from this Jesus, that you're holding on to him totally. How will you know how will you know if you're, you're trusting him? Look, it's not everything, but here's some things. Jesus will be your delight. Yeah, if this is true and you've got it, you'll be grateful. You'll be also grateful to him. He'll thrill you. And don't confuse those things. Those things don't make you a Christian. Being thrilled with Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. Delighting in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian any more that Blondin's manager delighting in him got him to the other side. It wasn't delighting in Blondin that got him to the other side. Blondin got him to the other side. But it would be odd, wouldn't it? I mean, if I was on Blondin's back and he got me to the other side, for some reason I was drugged and put onto his back and woke up halfway across, that'd be the only way, and I got to the other side, I'd be delighted with him. I'd be saying, Blondin, thank you. But I wouldn't think for a moment that it was my delight in any way that got me across. No, it's Blondin. Same with Jesus. It's not my delight in him that gets me across. It's his supreme, gracious, sovereign power that in his death he can pay for all our sin and he can carry us over. He gets us over. But knowing him for what he's done, one of the things that should happen, if I know him, I should begin to delight in him. Have you found that? Has that been growing in you? Is Jesus delight? I delight to you. Maybe today, do you, do you want to, after the service, maybe some time at home, we're talking with friends just to pray and say, Jesus, do you know, I've, I think I've grown a bit cold in the way I've thought about you. Forgive me for that. Just remind me again just about how, how wonderful the Easter gift is and don't let me be stolen away from it.
I think another way you'll know is you'll be able to be more honest about your, your faults. You won't need to pretend you're better than you are because you know it's not your goodness that makes you okay. It's what God's totally done in Christ. That's where your security lies. That's how I know I'm okay and I'm safe and I'm on the other side because of what Jesus has done, not because I've been able to pretend and convince people I'm good enough. And so it means when I do things wrong, one of the things that should start to happen is I'll be honest about that. Are you quick to apologize? Easter, in some ways, as we talk about new life, it's the beginning of a new year since last year. Have you, you found since Easter last year, you've become less defensive when people point out things you've done wrong. You're able to be more honest about those things. Be able to say, yeah, it was me. I've still got some growing to do, but thank God through Jesus, I'm kept safe. And what about with others? Are you slow to get cross? When other people do things wrong, are you quick to remember that they're just like me, in need of a savior? I don't want to hold a grudge with them. I want to I want to point them towards the one who can forgive them. And I guess that's, that's the other thing you begin to see. Knowing Jesus this way, you want, to, you want to talk about him, share him with others, just in our conversations, even with friends who are already Christians and maybe with those who are not. Well, you'll point others to Jesus. And very briefly at the end, I suppose one last thing, you'd be remiss not to mention it and that's if you you're not trusting him yet and you would like to the great Easter gift is is on offer for you not because of anything you've done not for anything you have to do but totally because of what Jesus has done if you come and ask him to forgive you and be Lord of your life the great Easter gift Uh, Don't let anyone steal you away from it. Amen.